Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection. As we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth in your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Belonging the Podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here, coming to you on a crisp, chilly autumn morning here on coastal Miwok land on the side of my hill. We had a red flag fire warning last night, and they've cut the power to half the county, and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to record, but they did not cut power here. And that is just the reality of living in a place and a time when fire danger is so present. And I guess the winds are really high. This is the time of year. I think last year, that really bad fire, the campfire just north of us, that was in November. And then the year before that, the one in wine country just north of me. Um, that was in October. So this is the time of year we all kind of hold our breath. So needing to presence that and breathe a little deeper. And I've been drinking a lot of water and just hoping to make it to the first rains. So if you have any blessings to send our way in California, we'd so appreciate it. I guess that is, that is what it is to be in these times. And I always think about our ancestors, right? And how would they navigate times like these? The ones who lived on dry lands that had fire, fire seasons and how they would navigate that tension in the air, the dryness, the heat, the wind. What would they do to feel more grounded and rooted and resilient to navigate it? And so what I've come up with is breathing deeply and drinking water and having an evacuation plan. So I'm also coming to you just off of another incredible retreat with grandmother, Sarah Bicknell, 
who I interviewed in episode 26 of this podcast. She is an incredible healer, someone I just really want to spread the word about. Really, really powerful woman. And we did ancestral constellation work, which is something I now make a part of my practice every year. I do about two or three a year. And this one was in San Diego and it was two full days with people who were strangers at the beginning, but by the end we have such an intimate relationship with each other, such an intimate understanding of each other's lives as we represent members of their family, parts of their ancestral stories and work to heal that. I find this modality, I really just can't say enough. For those of us who have patterns in our lives or uh, traumas that we really feel like we can't get over, we can't move past, and either those ancestors are no longer living or it doesn't feel like possible to have a super deep healing experience with them to work with the field, which Sarah talks about in our podcast episode. Again, episode 26, if you've no idea what I'm talking about, where the field is a place where the messages come through and the healing can happen. And it is just so powerful. So, so powerful. So I'm actually bringing grandmother Sarah with me on my next international retreat, which is in Glastonbury next April. She is a woman of that land and we'll also, we won't be doing constellation work, but we will be doing conscious dreaming work and having dream circles and visiting the sacred sites and really merging the two realms of our waking and our dream life. So there's more to come soon. We're just working on getting the website up and finalizing the details. But if you're interested, I'll put a link in my show notes, belongingpodcast.com, where you can get on the wait list. Or if you're listening to this later than the beginning of October, then maybe it's live and you can sign up on the, on my website. But today, today is a very exciting, it's exciting the word. Sometimes I find I default to excited. It's like an easy word to go to instead of maybe a deeper word. So let me try again. What am I feeling? I feel I I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. I'm feeling, Hmm, there's a sense of honoring. It's, it's a bit more subdued, but it feels very special. Maybe that's the word. This feels very special and tender and sweet and important. This conversation with Sarah Durham Wilson, otherwise known as the mother spirit. I discovered Sarah, you guessed it on Instagram, her, she is the mother spirit on Instagram and her posts really move me sometimes to tears with her honesty about what it means to move from the archetype of maiden to mother. Sarah is 40 and she has a young daughter named Avalon and she has been openly sharing her story about what it means to fully move from the archetype of maiden, which is really what our culture, what patriarchy, what the beauty industrial complex, you know, what our fear of death has done, which has made it so women can't really feel safe to rise into into the mother archetype. This doesn't necessarily mean having children. 
And it also is very much inclusive to all beings who have an experience of the feminine, but it's to rise into the next layer of what it means to be a living being you cannot be a maiden forever. You know, think about, think about those people in your life who you can very visibly see, maybe you're one of them who's stuck in wanting to feel young and wanting to feel saved and feeling helpless and scared and fearing abandonment. And then the mother archetype, which Sarah goes into so much detail about both in this episode and in her work is really one of wisdom and one of really greeting the reality that is aging and death, death that is coming. So in her work today, she was formerly a rock journalist in New York City and LA, and she said her Saturn returned viscerally, ended one life, and began another, one devoted wholly to feminine wisdom. And she is devoted to healing the wounded maiden so that they can bridge themselves into a healthy mother, archetypally. She is about to become an author. She has a book deal with Sounds True Publishing, which is very exciting. And she has a online program called the mom unity or the mom Mune, where she helps women cross into archetypal mothers. She leads retreats. We talk all about that. She has a really interesting call about money and the mother archetypes relationship to money, which we also talk about and link in the show notes. So I'm really feeling the specialness, I'm not going to say excited. I'm really feeling the specialness of this, particularly in my own time of my life being really feeling the threshold of maiden to mother, not feeling quite maiden, not feeling quite mother, and um, really facing the aging of my body and the knowing of death coming and seeing my mother and the mothers of my community move into crone, that final sort of wisdom aged place in the birth to death to birth to death cycle that is life. So this, this felt important for me to hear and wherever you are on that wheel, on that cycle of maiden to mother to crone, there is wisdom here for you. So I will hand it over to my conversation with Sarah Durham Wilson, AKA the mother spirit. I'm just going to, um, my slippers are like right outside my door. And my first thing I always do is give her warm feet because my maiden oh. grabbing my slippers for my maiden. Um, oh, get it. <laughs> get it. Okay, I got her a blanket too. Oh, good. Okay, so can you just tell me what you mean when you say my maiden has cold feet yeah, and wants yeah. slippers? Like what, what okay. is that process for you of so self-mothering? Your inner little one, you know, the – the unmothered maiden, because whether that was that you didn't have a mother growing up or your mother never came into mother herself, um, or she had all of her, you know, power dormant her whole life because of a patriarchal narrative about the feminine, um, that they're, you know, not powerful, hysterical, unworthy, um, you know, objectified, all that, um, dependent upon men kind of thing. So my, I have a very deep, because of like four, I'm 40 and really by 40, the intense soul's intention is to be bloomed by then and it's soul gifts. And usually that soul gift um, resurrects from the biggest wound that you have. And mine was being unmothered 
my mom died young. And so I had this, um, and she was also, um, thought her power was outside of her. So I had this like trembling little one inside that her narrative is I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy and everyone is going to abandon me. And so I have to, especially in times of like deep transition or when any, or, you know, um, or anything, any big life event is happening. I have to like tend to her all the more. And so just now, because of what I was telling you, like why we got on this call like late and like what I'm going through right now, she's really activated and needing safety, security, groundedness, rootedness. And I haven't been giving that to her. In fact, the opposite. So I just said, I'm going to get you a blanket and some slippers and we'll start there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Mm, thank you. I haven't really thought of it that way about sort of the parts work of maiden mother crone. Mm -hmm. Do you ever like tune into what your crone needs? Mm. My crone is like, like the deep wisdom keeper within me. Like it's sort of like you can ask the version of you on your deathbed, like what matters? What do I do now? You know? So like, am I going to be okay? You know? And, and there's like a part of you that's like already done everything in your life and you can kind of, and that a lot of the times that's who we're living for. We're living for, we're, we're accessing mother, we're accessing our power, we're blooming um, so that she can have a peaceful letting go and transition time so she can just be a wisdom keeper and not be like um, regretful and remorseful that she didn't live her dreams and her in her own true life you know so it's like a gift to the crone to come into fullness so that when she's walking towards the final door she doesn't have the regrets of someone who didn't live her own life you know hmm. so i can kind of like lean into like deathbed wisdom and be like does this matter you know what do i do now um hmm. a little different than leaning into like the great goddess and great mother. It's like more like singular, um, like my journey's wisdom instead of like the deep collective feminine or, or like my, my inner mother is, is, is the voice of the great goddess, like the unconditional loving mother energy that could, you could never do anything to make them unlove you. That kind of love, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow, just soothing hearing you even talk about it. <laughs> like I can feel my whole body lean into it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I could really use more of the great mother mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now my altar is like still en route. Like it got shipped and I haven't been sitting at it every morning. And when I mm -hmm. sit there with her every morning, the great mother, and I, I feel like a warrior queen in her name and I've just been like, I'm not usually like, I'm pretty open that I don't really drink or anything, but we've been like red wine every night out in the desert. Like I'm with a small community now and every, like I haven't been working and I'm a workaholic, like work is my safety. And so everything is just really uprooted right now. Um, and yeah. kind of crazy. And I just really miss sitting with, with great mother. So hopefully tomorrow my altar gets here. <laughs> Wow. 
Yeah. So we should name that you are landing after moving Mm -hmm. you and your daughter Mm -hmm. moving to a whole new state, a whole new community, a whole new place of home. Mm -hmm. And before we hit record, was talking about how we really in this culture don't name how disorienting and and just frankly hard it is to move mm-hmm. and giving ourselves enough space. I was talking about how when you like transplant a plant, when you plant it back in the earth, at first it wilts mm-hmm. before it like receives the water and soils and sun and then blooms again. Mm-hmm. So I'm just so thankful you're recording with me and I'm really grateful that you're presencing all that's true for you right now, which is like, you need your mother altar, yeah. <laughs> these things, and you know, to really root you in again to your work and your purpose and yourself, your wisdom. Yeah. Like to have, like, so I'm writing a book for, um, sounds true. And I saw congrats. Thanks. It's a huge dream. And that was like my North star for so long. Like I'm just really lost, like in the uprooted part. Like I had my first meeting with sounds true about like my calendar schedule yesterday. And I was like, thank God someone's giving me a schedule. And like, I'm so unrooted and I'm just, and my friend who's going to nanny Avalon just got here. So I'll have, we'll have a schedule again and a routine and that'll be good for her too, for my child. Um, but yeah, like, um, I need that river to follow of my work and I need to be teaching all the time and I need to be Mm. teaching this work that I need so desperately, or I go into maiden, I go into frazzled and seeking outside of myself and lacking self care and stuff. And then if I'm teaching on the mother, I return to that, that, that inner throne, you know? Mm hmm. Okay, well, may I ask you to teach me a little bit? <laughs> sure. Okay. As some, well, I, can I presence? I'm 34. Mm, you're young. And and I um I feel very much in the tension of the maiden to mother transition. Uh-huh. I am not yet a mother. I've had two miscarriages, so I'm in the tension of like mm. how to move into that and when yeah. and sort of like surrender to it. Uh, and I fear and look forward to aging uh-huh. and my body is changing mm-hmm. in like the way my breasts are sort of lowering and the way my stomach is sort of thickening and, and I'm also loving it. I'm also embracing it, but there's little moments of like fear around like, what is sexuality when you get older? What is beauty? Like, all these things come up for me in all these ways. And so your what you write on Instagram, Sarah is the mother spirit on Instagram, is just touches my soul. And I know so much of it is your based on your own story. And to see you claim 40, claim mother, claim your work, it's very inspiring. So I given like that's where I'm coming from. And I'd love to hear more about this maiden archetype and this mother archetype and how how we women female identified even men can move into mother and what that gives us mm. so 34 is still like it's still approaching the threshold and the crossroads like 37 is like that's where every like almost everyone starts with me mm. it's really like there's an inner terror that needs to be addressed if we're not 
my the way I sum up the made into mother journey is there's this voice of like it's time to become who you came here to be and the time is running out and that fear of aging can be our deep invitation to face the truth of our death and therefore grant us full permission to live our true lives um as if you know we've left a doctor's office with that terminal diagnosis you know like how will you live knowing you'll die you know and so um gay hendrick's book was really helpful for me the big leap about if people aren't if humans aren't offering their soul gifts by 40 the soul starts to scream in ways of depression and sickness and it becomes like debilitating until we really descend in and so the maiden to mother work is like you know, if you think about a crossroads of a path splitting, you can't take one more step the way you've always gone on what has become almost like an autopilot path. You know, you have to stop and choose now which direction you'll go in when a path splits. And the way that the the, the path splits is like you can't take who you've been and what you've been carrying if you go a new way. So you have to like stop at this like underground inner river and sift through the pain you've been running from through drugs, food, alcohol, sex, Netflix, Instagram, whatever that that no longer works to numb this pain. And you have to go tend to it as mother and sit with it and, and like sifting something from a river, just like Letting, uh, you know, as the pain leaves, um, the wisdom remains. And then you can, you don't walk forward with the pain because you're just going to continue to hand that out. You walk forward with the wisdom. So it's a deep, my baby's up. It's a deep drop <laughs> inside. And finally, nothing outside works anymore. And that is a gift. Hmm. As the pain leaves, the wisdom remains. Yeah. Wow. Do you need to tend to your baby? Mm. Yeah, I do. She's crying. Okay. How about I nurse? How about I go up and bring her, bring this into bed, and and have her nurse on me? Beautiful. That sounds good, right? <laughs> Let's do that. Okay. Hi, sweetheart. Come here. Come here. Okay, I'm just talking to our friend Becca. Okay. Hi, Becca. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Avalon. Hi, Avalon. (sighs) So, yeah, it's, um, and some people, you know, and it's sort of about the blossoming is, Will I stay close to life after all the pain? Or will I stop here at this crossroads Mm. and finally tend to myself, finally care for myself, finally return to myself and feel safe enough to bloom open, you know? Mm -hmm. And and, and Mm -hmm. instead of walking this way for the rest of my life, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I I would love to know more about. I I'm, I guess I'm not sure what the term is, but like 
holding on to an unhealthy maiden energy and like what that looks like or what that's looked like in your life just to better under, I think for listeners to better understand and step into this place of, and when we say mother, we're not talking about having actual physical children. It's like a time of your life, right? It's an essence. It's a, it's the midlife bloom. And it's, it's, you know, so many women are biological mothers who never come into this, this place of power and sovereignty. Something you were talking about before is like, as physical beauty changes the question of like what is beauty you know and those become those become our gifts you know those become our essence they become our soul gifts or or they become our compassion they become our creativity they become our resilience they become our grace they become our receptivity they become our intuition they become something so much deeper eternal and internal as opposed to that fleeting objective nature you know Mm. and that's its own reward despite the terror of the face and the body changing you know that was actually never a source of confidence anyway because of its changing nature you know and its subjectivity and, mm-hmm. and it's it's standards that were completely unreachable and un- untain- unattainable beauty, you know, external beauty standards. And so once we find them within and find them to be unwavering, that is actually a source of confidence, you know, to have met yes. yourself, which most women, they're so focused on the outside because they've been groomed to be that way that they have atrophied, atrophied inner beauty. There's an emptiness inside of them. And so maiden traits are reactivity, vanity, insecurity, selfishness, helplessness, untreated depression, hysteria, all kinds of things like that that like really trigger us. But then the mother medicine would be like, you know, ungroundedness, the mother medicine would be groundedness reactivity the the medicine would be responsiveness Um, vanity the medicine would be like a deep self-sourcedness hysteria uh, serenity you know and getting Mm. crossing that bridge to to the to the other side is to enter mother Mm. i wonder this makes me think about the system we live in yes of course patriarchy and capitalism and white supremacy and and how it um what does it do does it it, does it want to keep women in an unhealthy maiden has it has it distorted the maiden yeah it wants to what is it done infantilized you know Mm -hmm. little girls and women's bodies that can be told what to do um and tamed and externally dependent and externally sourced on power and approval, you know, the opposite would be an, an untamable woman if mm-hmm. her power was on the inside, right? If her beauty was mm-hmm. on the inside. Yes. If her love was on the inside. Mm-hmm. I read in one of your writing pieces that patriarchal culture has buried the bridge to power. Yeah. This rite of passage is buried. You know, there's no 
coming into to true womanhood you know i mean i i use the terms queen 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 warrior woman archetypal mother but um a powerful woman if you listen to that money talk like money in this world right now and capitalist patriarchy white supremacy is power so if women you know i mean there's just a massive shift that needs to happen around money and i'm incorporating that in my teachings now you know we have such a shame and a fear around it and what do we do with things that we're afraid of and ashamed of we don't look at it and we don't touch it mhm yeah the the money talk sarah's referring to i'll put in the show notes at belongingpodcast.com i was listening to it before getting on with her and it's it's so good. Everyone listen to it. It's so powerful. The way you frame money as a tool, as like a part of the bridge to power. Yeah. To our, to our own sourcing, our own power. It's like a part of the, the transition to mother. This rite of passage is living in this society is, is money as well. And I think that's such an important piece we may want to just like in our spiritual enlightenment, like push to the side and be like, no, 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 I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> it's like, actually it's a, it's an important part of this. Right. And it's, it could bring us into a healthier relationship with purpose and work oh, and generosity and reparations and all of it. Self And then, you know, I, I pay a lot of people now. So I support a lot of people now I can pay women of color to come into my teachings and, and teach, you know, about privilege and, and race, I can make reparations. I mean, it just, I, I dare say it might be hard to fully come into, there's so many spectrums that we need to heal to come into mother. I was just talking about this where a man revealed to me that I was still in maiden when it came to romantic love, but so you can be in mother in some places, but I was, my, my finances were very much in maiden, you know, as I was crossing this and to like, I talk about the reframing of, you know, I'm, I'm not in I, manifestation never worked for me. Like I'm just going to see myself rich, you know, like I never, what worked for me was how can I give, how can I give, how can I help? And mm. that place of what do I have to give and what does the world need, as we, we know we know that those questions, that was the literal money spot for me. Wow. Yeah. And that is a mother mindset. I don't know if that's the way you would phrase it, but that is. How can I help? Yeah. And I receive by giving. So I'm only mm -hmm. ever in lack and scarcity when I'm not giving. And I, um, like this last week, I haven't done any work. And I'm like, I'm watching like my bank account go down and stuff because, and it's like, I'm longing to give. I'm just not, you know, I'm in the wilting before the reblooming of, of moving so mm -hmm. to be with that. But um, I love to give. Yeah. That brings up a, a question I have around maybe distorted mother, yeah, which is the overgiving or the martyrdom. Yeah, yeah. They were like resentful giving. Yeah. The owner, the, the giving that like implies almost like ownership. You know, like you owe me now, and that is a very unhealthy place to give from. And it's you know I like to say the maiden takes 
unhealthy risks with how she like sacrifices and gives her gives of herself and the mother takes healthy risks in vulnerability and giving and her creativity and if it's not like a safe way to give like it is distorted mother for sure but if it's not like a safe way to give you don't do it in healthy mother like if you're like giving to get something that's not healthy you know, in the maiden time, the maiden time is the becoming time. You're not quite who you are yet, right? That's why I say in mother, it's time to become who we came here to be. In maiden, we're still trying to get to who we are. Um, and so mm. a lot of the stuff is, it's pieces of us, but it's not our wholeness that we're teaching yet from. And so when you're teaching from the mother well inside of you, from a self-sourced place, you're, n- you're not going to burn out. It's going to actually fill you up to give. Hmm. Yeah, that really, really resonates with me. I would love to talk more about this concept of the unmothered women. Hmm. And it's it's reminding me, um, Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who wrote Women Who Run With the Wolves, talks about the mistaken zygote. This feeling, I think it resonates with me in this concept of belonging where um, some women feel like maybe they like weren't meant for the mother they got or the family they got mm-hmm. in some ways they aren't feeling seen or they aren't feeling tended to and then you write about the unmothered women for whatever reason didn't really get the mothering they needed and then i think about this system that really oppresses women and really makes it really hard infantilizes them they only have a small percentage of the money like we're clawing for empowerment we're trying to make our way back to a place or it's not even back it's create a new paradigm in which we can really claim ourselves and help heal this dying world and so in that way it feels powerful to name that there are people are there women in this world that didn't that are unmothered in that way and then you talk about mothering, self-parenting. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that in that greater context. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm running this year-long kind of like community course called the Momune. And a woman brought up that Clarissa Pinkola Estes actually had an audio book about the unmothered woman. And I've never heard that before. Whoa, cool. I mean, I'm like, how did I miss that? (laughs) But I describe being unmothered as being like lost at sea and like nobody watching over you. And so to not have somebody watching over you from the outside and then to not have the inner mother on the inside, you know, the voice of guidance, the voice of unconditional love, voice of wisdom is to be just totally untethered, just to be totally always drowning. And that's how it felt for me. I mean, I don't really don't want to like get too woo. Like I actually, I don't know whether I was born into the wrong family or that I was born into the perfect family. So as to have such a deep wound that I would have to enter and come out the other side with these gifts of remothering ourselves, you know, like Mm. what would I be doing if I weren't doing this? I have no idea. (laughs) And if my mother had been able to love me, 
I, I mean, I'm lying in I'm lying in bed in one of these community houses on the land here in New Mexico, and my friend is lying in the other bed, and she said to me before, like, you know, thank God she didn't love you. Mm. <laughs> one of those like very empathetic, sweet moments is like, because who who would be doing this work? for women yeah. I mean other women Bethany Webster is doing the mother wound work and I, I do more the lost girls the mother the unmothered maiden work so I don't focus so much on the mothers I focus on the maidens and how we can care for them you know how we can give them the security and the love and the being seen and heard and held that they never had and how we can yeah. become mothers the mothers that we didn't have and that we needed to ourselves and then therefore the mothers that the world needs now. That's just one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I re I'm realizing you're focusing on the maidens by mothering them yourself mm -hmm. and to really, so you're looking at the maiden as opposed to like you're stepping into mother by mothering the maiden. Yeah. We don't talk so much about, I mean, it comes up like, what was your mother like? But I don't teach on, I teach on the core maiden wounds, um, which are, they always tend to be, I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. Everyone's going to abandon me. I'm bad. Hmm. And to really get in there with her, the maiden, and, and access where that came from and how it's just a story and how nobody will ever abandon them again and how good they are and how much we love them and how worthy they are. And that was a big shift for my money wound, you know, like I didn't think I was worthy of being seen and having a good life and asking for what I felt the work deserved. I didn't trust myself enough to, and you know, success is, is a great responsibility and when I was in Wounded Maiden, I couldn't hold that responsibility. I couldn't hold that power, you know. Um, and mother, you, you learn to be responsive, responsible, and you can hold so much more than you could when you're in scarcity and um, survival. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that really resonates with me on so on so many levels particularly this, the I've really been looking at my worthiness wounding, I'd say the summer, this past summer, it really made itself known. And I really had thought like, I figured that out. I, I know what's up. I figured that out. Mm -hmm. And as I decided it was time to shift my work fully and step into this new and deeper way of serving that worthiness when really popped up. Mm. And I've been working with my therapist to look at these little moments throughout my childhood and teenage and college years where that story was reinforced to me by me that I was bad and I was not smart and I didn't know. And no matter the big one for me was no matter how hard I try, I'm unworthy. So I must not be trying hard enough, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which, which feels liberating to speak mm -hmm. because I had so much shame to even admit that. Yeah. It's funny. It comes up 
all the time still and it's just about mothering it and listening to it and but um it comes up all the time i'm not good enough yeah it's so sad because of course we are you know yeah so thank mm-hmm. you thank you you, thank know, you for that it's so crazy how you know we just zero in on the negative and there's so much positive Mm-hmm. It makes us feel safe or something like reading about healing and codependency. Like some people just continue to sabotage their lives in recovery because that's all they know. And the good stuff, the expansion is, is far scarier, you know, because at least oh, when yeah. you continue to, to fall, you're low to the ground and you know, you know, that place, you know, um, I was like expanding, like I talked about in the money call, I went from like no money to six figure to, you know, like a six figure projected income for the year. And, and then like ghost ranch, sold. this is like ghost ranch sold out my next retreat and like the mom and the sounds true book deal all came at the same time. And it was terrifying and it was so lonely and it was too much to, hold at one time and I kept witnessing ways that I was trying to sabotage it you know because mm-hmm. at least I knew that I knew I know smallness you know I can do smallness <laughs> so what were your practices during that time that huge expansion moment with the book deal and the sellouts and all of it knowing that that maiden temptation to sabotage came out like what what are your practices with that well i mean i i wobbled a lot i stuffed a lot of feelings down with like every day i'd go get like a box of dried mango and lesser evil butter popcorn and like vegan chocolate ice cream bar <laughs> and i'd right. watch like any of my like British detective shows, I was just trying to numb. Yeah. Um, and I was like reaching desperately for this unavailable man, putting my worth on projecting my worth onto him. And just, and then finally I just hit a place where I was crying my eyes out and a friend came over and I just said, it's all too much. It's all too much. And she said, I, I can't, you know, I can only imagine cried in her arms. And the next day I was a lot better. Um, cause I was like, who am I to cry about this? You oh. know? Um, and the responsibility was pretty crushing too. And the, like, it was like zero to 60, you know, it was just so intense. And then I, then I, you know, we've been out, I was saying, and, and before we started talking and before we started recording, you know, this move to the desert, I decided it three months ago with a friend to move back to where I was in this little commune. Uh, last summer I was out here with Avalon when she was one and I loved it. And I know it's my soul calling to be out here and to start a mother's community out here. And I'm doing that. It's taking up, it's on pause right now with everything, but to hold the space for knowing I was leaving my life and to hold the space for my father and his wife who were, you know, losing their, their daily relationship with Avalon and, um, like leaving my community and everything, I had to stay in mother, which means I, I couldn't collapse. So that one day I was talking about was my one collapse where mm. I just cried to somebody 
you know, I, I, I'm always in therapy and stuff, but like, I was just like keeping it together, keeping it together, sitting at my altar, doing the work, getting on my drum, drumming in to listen to my maiden, you know, rising as mother, like doing my work. And so when we got here and I'm someone who doesn't really drink, we've been like bathing in red wine and like lying around in our underwear being like, what is happening? So like, that's where you and I are meeting. It's like the, like yesterday we started drinking wine at like two in the afternoon and like dancing on our underwear and the sunset. And then today we're just like, okay, we have to like get our shit together. But it's like, we've just been, there's been so much pressure, not only with the move, but with my career and being a single mother. And so we were just relieving that, you know, and I'm, I'm only comfortable when I'm working my ass off. I'm not, I don't take like vacations or anything. And to get us from almost having to go on welfare in March to where we are now took like machine warrior energy so that's my comfort zone now so this these long dust dusty days with sunrises and sunsets and red wine and magic maggie rogers and lizzo and like (laughs) in underwear and you know communal dinners i'm like what is happening yeah there's like a softening and a celebrating happening, which is community does. I mean, isolation is so toxic and, and lonely and hard. And the fact that like, there's so much less for me to do because I'm not the only one in charge of the compost, the recycling, the trash, the cleaning, the, the eating, the, the food, everything that there's like, there's, it creates so much space that I'm like, what do I do with this space? And now like, I can afford an assistant and like she does things that I'm terrible at. And so it doesn't take me 40 hours to figure out how to automate something. And there's like all this space that's created that I'm like, okay, you know? <laughs> yeah, how beautiful. So I have one final question for you, mm-hmm. which is something I have been dancing with this year. I um, took a course to be a death midwife mm-hmm. back in April, and I've really been looking at death and dying and grief mm-hmm. more deeply, and really sitting with my fear of death and my f- and how it ties into aging. Yeah. And um, finally, just willing to even say it because I, I was like too cool to admit it, and I'm like, no, no it's very present for me. And if there is anything you can share in the, in, in your awareness of this path we walk as women made into mother to crone and how that fear of dying, how we can dance with it. Yeah. I mean, you have to look at, I guess Anais Nin says, if you're truly living your life, you won't be so afraid of death. It's those living an unlived life that are terrified of it. So you really have to face, I call it, you know, when we're looking in the mirror and we're terrified of aging, it's like face your face, face the truth of the lines on your face and the sag of your skin that, you know, your time here is limited and 
like deepen into like Stephen Jenkinson, you know, his books coming of age and, and like the gifts that are behind that door of fear of death are that like to come radically alive and give yourself radical permission to show up in your fullness and your fullest unbridled expression and to use that terminal diagnosis as you know the liberation of your truth and to get mm. to work on living your fullest life you know let those lines be on the face be like lines on the clock time is ticking by stop pretending it's not you know right right there's such a temptation to bypass that but to just embrace it means embracing yeah do what you came here to do be who you came here to be and don't waste another moment yeah yeah who wrote die wise that's stephen jenkinson oh that's okay yes that's a beautiful book yeah. Yeah, there's. I think there has been some comfort in in reading more literature and listening to speeches on YouTube. And I just sometimes can I feel resourced enough to go in there and to really listen to death wisdom. There's a there's actually a comfort in it, and that's what I find in my own education. I'm doing on trying to be more present for death mm -hmm. because it's it's coming for all of us and it's a part of this world there yeah. is there is death in this world a lot of it a lot of it yeah last summer i was because i'm 40 i'm the year my mother was diagnosed with the cancer that killed her at 45 and last mm -hmm. summer i was approaching 40 and i was out here in this very bed in this very room and i was like i know i have to go a different way uh, to break this curse this matrilineal curse of suffering hmm. and sadness and early deaths and and I I read like Stephen Levine A Year to Live and Marion Woodman's Bone and listened to her Crown of Age and I remember the last thing Stephen Levine said was you know after doing a year long death meditation was the only rational act of my life has been love and that was hmm. the truth that arose from facing death every day is that the only rational act and everything else is irrational, but love. Everything else will regret, but love. And um, mm. loving ourselves and loving everyone in our lives and everyone we meet. And um, to go a different way is why I ended up here. It's a huge breaking of the, the path and the patterns that the women in my, my lineage have walked to do something so radical and jump into a soul see and just trust you know to follow a soul yes. over what makes sense on the outside and in mother the inner voice is louder than the outer voices and made in the outer voices are louder than the inner voice which is why we get so lost but if we can access that one singular inner voice and move the way it asks us to move we'll we'll be found mm. Beautiful. It, it, this frame really makes it seem like dancing around in your underwear, drinking red wine at 2 p.m. in a community seem like the most rational act of love there is. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad we did this today. I needed to sit with you and unpack some of everything that's been going on.
with you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, it's such a pleasure to process it with you and really step into your world and your teaching. And I'm I'm just so inspired and in awe of your work and of you. And I'm just so happy that that you're getting what you need and what you want through pursuing this work. Thank you. It's really beautiful to hear and to witness and for everyone listening to hear and witness because we're all on our individual journeys and to hear these stories instead of keeping them hidden or, you know, in shame or humility or whatever it is to just hear it is such medicine. Yeah, well, so thank you. It's our individual you. stories, but I, they're all the same too. <laughs> right. We find that our way and we're just trying to find our, our, our soul gift and we're just trying to figure out how to give it. And we just want to, we just want to love and be loved. <laughs> right. And belong, as yeah. you say. Totally. In all the ways. Mm -hmm. Thank you so, so much for joining me, you and Avalon. <laughs> with a precious gift. Thank you. So I will put all of Sarah's information at belongingpodcast.com. If people want to connect with you, learn more about the mom moon, which sounds incredible. And I know your ghost ranch retreat is sold out, but maybe the next one people can hear about. Yeah. We're going to have a, I think we're going to be doing a money power and purpose one in Taos in February, but um, we're just trying to get that oh. together. Cool. Yeah. How cool. Yeah. Oh. Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much and um, happy landings in New Mexico. Thank you. Let's talk soon. That would mean a lot. Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is sacred and I hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day. For show notes, links, and references from this episode, you can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.